two, which were Isaac, and the first one, Hagar's the Egyptian slave's son, was Ishmael, who became the father of um, Islam. Okay, can't see how that controversy had any relevance to history. Before that text ends, and today's text, which is verse 9, there is verses 1 through 9, where after the death of Sarah, Abraham gets married again. Yeah, the man's over 100 years old. Yeah, sheesh. And guess how many sons or children he had with Ketua, his, his new concubine wife? Six. Six more kids. Now, um, if you, how many of you grew up with it? Father Abraham had seven sons. Seven sons had Father Abraham. And they never laughed. And they never cried. All they did was go like this with a right. You never did this in... in You've never done this, you do with a right, and then you do, and then with a right, and a left person, you're doing like this. This is, a, this is a VBS camp song, and you know, I grew up my whole life singing Father Abraham had seven sons, and if you'd ask me how many sons did Abraham have, I would say he had two, Ishmael and Isaac, or uh, just Isaac, because that's really what you, you find in Scripture. But he had at least six more kids, and some people think that they're all males because they're listed in the Bible by the Chronicler in Genesis, although it says children, and then after that, the only people that are listed after that are, are the boys. So whether he had seven sons, because I, I can't read the, the Hebrew names and know from the names whether uh, they were all boys or just most of them were boys. But Abraham had a lot of kids. And let me correct one thing that Mary said. Uh, she's right about how Abraham dealt with it, but the history of the tradition is that the eldest son, and, and Mondo, you're going to be relieved here because you would not have been left out, the elder son gets the double portion. Okay? And every other son gets a single portion. So uh, if there's 100, you know, 100 sheep, then you know, you're going to get twice as many as the eldest than, than the youngest people. But, but they're provided for, except in Abraham's family. What does he do to uh, um, Ishmael and Hagar? Out with you. Have a skin of water and on your way. And as, a and as Abraham gets old with his sons from Ketua, he gives them, in the words of Scripture, some trinkets, and I'm really glad Mary didn't, didn't uh, take these with her. So, as a son of Ketua, there you go. This is important. I love you, my son. Here you go. I'm going to give you more because I like you more than this guy. <laughs> and he sends them away and then gives everything to Isaac. This is a perfect situation for setting up sibling harmony. This is, if you want to have peace in the family, this is a recipe that you may not, in fact, want to follow. This is really, and I, I lift that up because sometimes as a minister, 
and I hear people talk about we need to get back to traditional biblical values. We need to have traditional values brought back into our country. And I thought, what text are you reading? This family is as dysfunctional as you are going to find anywhere. Now, my favorite definition, I've got some psychologists here, but my favorite definition of a dysfunctional family is any family of two or more people. Okay, so if you have two or more people in your family group, you have some level of dysfunction. Now, you may not have a whole lot, but you have some, and it just is the case. And, and what I see, people come in and, and they have this little tiny issue in their family that they are just, they don't want anyone to know about. You got the crazy uncle. You got the drunk aunt. You got the so-and-so who wants to sell you Amway every day and you got to join the franchise. Every family has got, I mean, you know, we mentioned a Lion King, you know, when, um, who, who's the, the little bird? Ra, uh, Zazu. Zazu says, there's one in every fire, every, there's one in every family, sire. Two, in my actually. You know, it's, that is the nature of families. If you've got a big enough family, you've got some crazy people. Chances are, in your own way, you're one of them. You know, can we get past it? So, We've got Abraham who has Ishmael, and then finally when we have Isaac, you know, Ishmael and Hagar go, and then after Isaac is, uh, you know, basically he gets married, and then Abraham says, well, what about me? And he gets, he gets married again, he gets six more kids, and then he sends them away. And Rebecca, like Sarah before her, is barren. She can't get pregnant. And if you have ever had infertility in your family, it is one of the most shameful things. It shouldn't be, but people feel um, absolutely guilty about it. There's something they've done wrong. They, it's just, you know, what's more natural than be fruitful and multiply? How could this possibly be? And yet infertility is about 10% of our country and in our world. 10% of our world's population has issues with infertility. And in the Bible, it's really clear that God is in charge of fertility. So you got Sarah, who's infertile for a long time, and now once again, here it comes, Rebecca. Forty years. Forty years it took them to have kids. And because of this lovely, harmonious family system that they're now growing into, they're fighting in the mother's womb the whole time. It's just like, I would like to die. I got two things in me, and it just, I just, I, I'd rather just be done. And Esau's born first, and Scripture says that he's hairy, and he's mottled, and he's kind of red, and, and Jacob comes out, and he's gripping his heel, hanging on for whatever. And Isaac loves Esau. 
And Jacob loves who? Excuse me. Rebecca loves, I gave it away. When I give it away, you shout it out because you're going to get it, well, if you're following me, you probably get it wrong. Um, but Rebecca loves Jacob. And so you've already seen, I mean, this family is not, we grow up today, and if you, and if you, if you tell families, well, do you favor any of your children? What would we say? No, of course not. That's wrong. We would never do that. I would never love one of my children who resembles me in every way. More than the child who doesn't resemble me at all. Couldn't possibly happen. Well, in this story, you've got the grandfather who has already taken six of the sons and said, Vaya escondidos. Have a nice life. Favoritism is not an issue here. It's okay to have favorites. So the question is, is where's the promise going to work through? And it's working through Jacob. And what it says is, again, you've got to look at this. And, and Esau is, Esau's a man's man. He's a hunter. He's, he's Ted Nugent. You know, he, he goes out there and, you know, and he's, he's killing game and he's a, he, and then Jacob, he's in the tent and he's cooking with the women. Now, if you're going to pick somebody, if you want to be a man's man, you're going to pick somebody to be your, who are you going to pick? You know, you got Cain and Abel and, and Cain was this big burly Esau guy and Abel was this really nice Man, and how'd that work out? Not so well. This one didn't work out so well either. I mean, there may be not any issues with, with twins, but in the Bible it says they don't get along real well when they don't have the same personalities. So we got this situation. And Esau comes in from the field, and Jacob is cooking like a woman. And he says, give me some of that red stuff. Give me some of that lentil stew you're making. It's soup. There's really no meat in it. And Jacob is a smart guy. He says, sell me your birthright first. You know, it's only twice. You know, you know, what do you care? And Esau, being the smart guy that he is, said, what's a birthright to me? I'm still going to get it. Dad's got, Dad's got lots. Double portion, single portion, what does it matter? I'm going to die. I'm famished. So he gives him his birthright. Next, we're going to talk about how Jacob steals the blessing. Now, in our, we follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and the story for next week never shows up. You may have heard it, but you've probably not heard it in church. You're going to hear it in church next week. It's going to be a happy sermon. This is, this is, this is where we, like, isn't summer in Laguna Beach supposed to be fun? Well, if you really want a dose for that, an antidote, you come to church, and I'll, I'll fix you right up. But here's the point. I want you to look around at your own families, and I want you to see all the dysfunction there. And I, and I know people think, you know what? We are messed up. We're messed up in our family. Guess what? You are not alone. And God works through some of the most messed up families in the world. 
to accomplish God's purposes. What purpose is God working in you? Because if you listen to the talk that you have got to be completely morally straight as a whatever, you know, and, and you can't have any slip-ups, and you can't be a drunk, and you can't be this, and you can't be that, because God is a God that loves purity. Since when? What work is God working in you and in your family? Because I guarantee God is at work in you and in your family. And if your family is messed up, I want you to drop that as an excuse. I love the conversation about family values. Because I can point to the text and say, God loves all of us. God works with all of us. Not just those who you think are worthy. None of the people in this story are worthy. There's not a one of them. God doesn't love you because you're worthy. God loves you because God loves you. And you just have to deal with that. There is nothing you can do. I mean, the psalmist says there is nowhere you can flee to escape God. And that's not a God of wrath. That's a God that says, would you just let me love you? Now, there are some things you're doing that could be better. I'm not going to pretend that there aren't. And we can work on those. But you don't have to work on those before you get loved. You ask any psychologist, and if the message you get the whole time is, what a piece of rubbish are you? Now pick yourself up by your bootstraps and sin no more. Boy, that is empowering stuff. Oh, hallelujah, sister. Like, you know, God loves you amazingly, and God sees you as the image of God's self. You're free to be who you are. Even in the midst of your crazy family. We've got thousands of kids on our border. Thousands of kids on our border. We who claim to be a Christian nation say, well, we can't take them in. There are too many of them. You ask Lebanon and Turkey about taking in 2.5 million refugees from, from Syria. Of course, they can do it because they're not Christian. What are our family values? I guarantee you, you don't want to look back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and say, I want their family values. Because you know what? They were faithful people in their own way. And that's what you want to hold on to. But we can set our own course, people. We can set our own course. And we can love all the crazy, screwy, messed up families that are just like ours. And that's good news. Amen.